The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. everybody, Rabbi Mel, I'm back with you. I hope you've had a good week. I had a good week. And um, fall is starting here in Colorado Springs. And the leaves are turning colors, and uh, soon there won't be any. So here we are. Anyway, my guest, we're going to talk about divorce mediation and counseling. And my guest is Beth Lieberman, who's my good friend, not only... Not only uh, if I ever needed a mediator, which I wouldn't because my wife would kill me if I ever did, but Beth has been doing this a long time. I'm going to read you her bio and then we're, so you'll know who you're talking to, you're listening to, and then we'll start talking. Beth Lieberman, LCSW. What does that mean? Licensed clinical social worker? Licensed clinical social worker. How many years do you have to go to school to get that? Um, after your bachelor's degree, uh, a master's degree in social work takes two years if it's full-time. Oh, so it's like more graduate stuff, graduate school. Yes. Well, anyway, she received her master's in social work from Bryn Mawr College in 1977 and has been in full-time practice here in Colorado Springs since 1983. For over 20 years, now you're going to hear a lot of things that I don't understand, you won't understand, people, but this is great. She's got a lot of good stuff she's been doing. For over 20 years, she has been performing parental responsibilities for evaluations, special advocate appointments, and child and family investigations, as well as serving as parent coordinator, decision maker, and court-appointed therapist. That's what a mother does, right? Right. You do exactly the same thing. Your parent coordinator, decision maker, and court, you appoint you as therapist. She has served as president of the Colorado Springs chapters of the National Association of Social Workers and the Colorado Society for Clinical Social Work and currently serves on the 4th Judicial District Judicial Nomination Commission the Steering Committee for the Colorado Springs Multidisciplinary Committee and the Secretary of the Colorado Chapter of AFCC. What does that stand for? And that stands for the Association of Family and Conciliation Courts. I knew that. Ms. Lieberman is a contributor to the Parenting Plan Possibilities Handbook, which I want to talk about later. 
distributed to divorcing families in the 4th Judicial District. And she's a great lady. So welcome, Beth. It's it's really good to have you on the show. We're Thank you. We're going to spend the next 46 minutes talking. So first and foremost, uh, okay, so... Um, so me and my wife come to see you because the the state of Colorado says we have to, right? Um, the state of Colorado says that if you want to get um, a hearing before a judge in your divorce because you're it's contested, then you have to go to mediation first unless there's some exception that you can convince the court applies to you. Like she stabbed me in the chest. Uh, yes, something like that. Yes, like that. Okay, I got it. Uh-huh. So, so me and my wife come to you, and we're probably not very happy with each other, I would imagine. That is correct. Otherwise, otherwise we wouldn't be coming to you. So that's the beginning of the process. Now, at the end of the process, sometimes... They're actually friends with each other again. They still get a divorce, but they're still they're they're more friendly than they were when they came to see you. Am I right? That's, you're definitely right, and that is a personal goal of mine. We don't always achieve it, but that's my hope. Okay, talk to us about some of the ways that you change their anger to healing, if you would. Uh, I would be happy to tell you about that. Um, The reason that they're generally coming to me is that there are children involved in this divorce. Um, As we all know, there are a number of divorces where um, couples either don't have children at all or they have grown children. But in most of the cases that I'm involved in, there are children, and one of the biggest questions and often one of the areas of the most disagreement is how the children should split their time between their two parents and um, how uh, decisions about the children will be made going forward. And specifically, will one parent get to make all the decisions or will the parents share that privilege and both weigh in on decisions about the kids? Um, how does it usually end up? I mean, how does it usually go? Is there a pattern? Is there is there a default? Is there? I mean, do most people choose joint decision making or not? Um, I would say um, that slightly more than half of the people would like to do joint decision making, but there are a significant number of people that believe either legitimately or because they have so much anger at the other parent that the other parent doesn't have the children's best interests at heart or is so impaired that he or she shouldn't be making any decisions about the children. So they'll be asking in that case to have what we call sole decision making. So you decide Um, that, right? Yes. And similarly, uh, you will have parents that sort of start out with the um, goal of sharing the children, sometimes 50-50 or sometimes in another way that makes sense, um, 
in terms of the children's school schedule or how the parents are spread out geographically across town. Um, so sometimes they want to do something close to 50-50, and again, other times they're convinced that that's the worst thing in the world for their children and they're going to fight it. Are divorcing parents, are, is one of them allowed to leave the city and move somewhere else, or do they both have to stay in the city? Um, yeah, that's a specialized question. Um, either parent is permitted to leave and go anywhere they want, but there is not a presumption that the children will go with them. At that God. point, if they're asking for that, then they have to be able to demonstrate that that's what's in the children's best interest. Not necessarily that, um, for instance, a mom might say, look, I've been providing all the child care and taking all the responsibility for the children ever since they were born, so of course they're going to move with me to Minnesota. Um, right. not presumed. Do you involve the kids in these discussions? Uh, it depends um, on what my role is specifically. Um, we've been talking about mediation here um, and then I've been branching off and talking about a few other things that I do. But in mediation, that will only involve the parents. Um, but that's also a timely question because I just recently went to um, a presentation about um, something called child-focused mediation, and that's a really specialized um, new protocol that does involve the children. But... At this point, it's not done very often yet and um, is um, going to take a while to catch on if it does at all. Do you think it will catch on? Um, I, if I had to guess, I would say there will be a small faction of people that will do it, um, but you have to be so very careful um, about knowing what you're doing when you involve children in these decisions because they're not really going to be permitted to make the decision and you don't want them to leave, you don't want to lead them to think that they are. Um, plus it, it, it sort of initiates them wanting to sometimes side with parents, sometimes the more powerful one, sometimes the one that's going to give them a car, sometimes the one right. that they feel is weak and can't take care of themselves. So there are a lot of issues that are not conscious to the kids that they might um, begin to weigh in to for the wrong reasons. And, and as you said, um, child-centered gives them more power than they probably ought to have or can handle. Yes, I think that's true unless it's done very carefully. And I wouldn't want to say that it wouldn't work, but I would say that there's a huge amount of training that would be involved in doing that correctly. And it's not a generic kind of intervention at all. Got it. Okay. So let's say that, that um, Ellen and I come to see you for, for mediation. Yeah. So what happens? We come to your office and we what? Well, um, I have some discretion about how I'm going to do that once you decide that you want to come to mediation with me. 
Um, what I generally do is meet with both parents initially together for about an hour, and we go over the process and what we'll be doing and sort of what some of the ground rules are. Um, and then I will um, probably on a different day have, or days, have individual meetings with the parents, get to know them a little bit, give them the opportunity to speak as freely to me as they can and want to about all their concerns without, you know, the fear of being interrupted or um, challenged by the other parent. And then on yet another day, I'll bring them back together. And um, depending on the level of conflict, if I feel it would be productive, I will meet with them together in the same room um, and start trying to bring them to some kind of agreement. Um, But there are families where that wouldn't be productive, um, and especially in cases of domestic abuse, um, it's very ill-advised to bring parents together in the same room. But overall, you figure that's part of the way that you're going to assess how they're going to do in the future making decisions together is how they're doing in the present making decisions together. They may, not, they may not change that much after they leave you. And if you can see patterns already developed, that gives you what to base your decisions on. Yes. I got it. Okay. So first we meet with you together. And, and you go over ground rules. So give me an example. Give me three ground rules that you would tell me and Ellen. Um, and one of the ground rules I would you and Ellen is not to interrupt one another. And that when one of you is speaking, that um, I expect you to be respectful towards one another and to hear the other person out. I suggest you have something to write with so that if you have a burning concern or a huge disagreement with something Ellen's saying, you can jot it down, and when it's your turn, I want to hear about it. Um, uh, that there really aren't any uh, right or wrong answers. Everyone's concerns are um, to be honored and respected. Um, and that I guess the third ground rule is that I expect everyone to keep in mind that we are here about the children. I don't really, I'm not bringing you together for us to talk about who did what to whom and why you all are getting divorced. That's a whole other setting and a whole other agenda and that we stay focused on uh, just the resolution of the questions that have to be answered about the divorce. And the kids, especially. Wow. I don't think I would like your job terribly much. It's a very gratifying job, honestly, because the other thing that we talk about is that if you can get your issues resolved in a counselor's office instead of in a courtroom, you're most likely going to be more happy with the results and you're going to have more of a buy-in from one another because once you get in front of a judge, he or she will hear from you for 
maybe an hour each at the most, doesn't know you, doesn't know your children, doesn't really know much about your children. It just depends on how your case is presented in front of the judge. And people have the mistaken impression that the judge is really going to get how awful the other person is and they're going to chew them out and humiliate them and embarrass them, which is what they're hoping to do if they've gotten into the courtroom. And well, that doesn't exactly happen, right? But judges do. The judges don't want to know all that. No. They trust you and they base their decisions on on your recommendations, I guess. They, um, they will rely on them. They're going to collect, if you get into the courtroom, uh, sort of what's called a body of evidence. The judges are going to hear from maybe different witnesses, maybe the parents, maybe depending on how the case is done. It could be teachers, counselors, neighbors, and from whatever's in front of the judge, he or she will make a decision. But that just is such, you know, a less satisfying process than coming to your own decision. Right. I got it. Okay. We are going to take a little break, Beth, and we will be back and we will continue our discussion. Okay, everybody. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hello, everybody. Rabbi Mel back with you. My guest this evening, well, it's evening here. I don't know what it is where you are because we are broad, we broadcast all over the world. And uh, every week I get a list of 
how many people from Spain are listening to me? Go figure. I mean, I don't know, but they, but people all over the world listen. So God bless you all. So my guest this evening is Beth Lieberman. She's here as in her function as a divorce mediator. And we've been talking about the process and what happens. And one of the big issues, the big issue is um, kids. But I'm sure there are other issues, Beth. So why don't you talk about some of those and enlighten our listeners? All right. Um, so probably the the largest issues that are faced are the children and finances. And the work that I do does not involve finances, so I'm probably not the best person to discuss that, but I thought that should be mentioned in the context of some of the things that are worked on in divorce mediation. Um, One of the things that we do um, deal with that's maybe one of the most difficult is when one of the parents wants or needs to relocate somewhere else and to move and um, wants to take the children with them, believing that that's what's in the best interest of the children. And so often um, that's one of... Well, divorce alone is, is itself is so stressful for children, but... Um, when one or both parents are moving, that's a, a even more stressful situation for the kids. Often they don't want to move. This is what they're used to. Everything else in their world is coming unraveled, and now they have to look at either a move themselves or losing a parent who's moving to another location, um, and very often a dispute between their parents about whether they're going to stay or go. So um, there are a lot of things that have to be considered there, and the main question, always the main question, is what is in the children's best interest and how that should be weighed out and considered. I went through that personally years ago when um, my wife and I, May she rest in peace, got divorced. And she was in New Jersey with with our two youngest kids who were almost in high school. The two older kids were in college already. So that was good. I was real happy that they were in college already. And she decided... You weren't happy with the bills, though, were you? Uh... Well, we got lucky. One of them went to Rutgers. That's a oh, state school, go. so we lucked out. Yeah, <laughs> but forty grand a year for the others was not a pleasure. Right. And of course, Daddy, Daddy got the privilege of paying for them. Of course. <laughs> uh, so uh, th- I I know what you mean when you when you say the kids are upset about uh, having to choose sometimes between moving and. Staying and, and having a parent move. In my in our case, um, I needed a job to support my family, and so I moved to Miami and took a wonderful show in Miami, and invited my wife to bring the kids up there. She refused, 
and I had um, job interviews prepared for her. There were she was in demand. She was a Jewish educator, and she was in demand. There were three wonderful day schools that were twice as large as the one she was uh, leading, and the salary was twice as large, twice as big, and they wouldn't charge our kids tuition. Sounded what a real good to me. Yeah, but she wasn't interested. She said, I'm not leaving here and because you could, you could leave there. You could go somewhere else. I'm not moving the kids around. I'm keeping them here until the last one finishes high school. That was five years later. Right. I didn't realize that the marriage was over yet because I always look on the, on the happy side and didn't really realize what she was really saying until I did. And then we got a divorce. And it was interesting because what happened was that the, um, the divorce decree itself was issued in New Jersey, uh, in Florida, where I was. But we agreed that the financial stuff would be decided in New Jersey, where she lived. I don't know whether that was a better deal than not, but so be it. The fact is, thank God I'm not in jail for non-payment of anything. I got through all that. wasn't easy. It was not easy. Um, sometimes... We talked to each other. We didn't talk a lot, but once or twice I would fly up to New Jersey to see the kids. And um, I remember once I was there and I, and I called her up and I said, why don't we go out to dinner together tonight? Uh, and she said, well, why? And I said, because it'll freak out anybody who knows us, who knows that we're divorced and sees us in the kosher restaurant and it'll freak them out. And then that would be wonderful. We can talk like, like parents of kids. So we did that and we went out to a, to a, a restaurant we had a fine time and I took her, she was, she was weak then she was not feeling well. And so I picked her up and I brought her home and just as she was, Slamming the car door, she says, by the way, I need more child support. Right. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I said, tell your lawyer to call my lawyer. Don't bother me. I just want to talk about our kids. So I guess it's that way all the time. And okay. I would imagine the mother always, the mother usually gets the kids and child support, and she never thinks she's getting enough because she always thinks the husband is, you know, is messing with her and taking too much money or not declaring his income or whatever. Or he's got side accounts in, you know, on the other side of the world somewhere and nobody knows about them, et cetera, et cetera. It's very interesting. That does um, happen often, but, you know... I I don't know if your children knew that you and she had gone out to dinner, but my guess would be if they did know, it probably meant a lot to them to see you two talking. And I think that's another thing that we really try and emphasize in this line of work. Yeah. That 
Our children are so keenly aware, no matter what their developmental level is, of what is going on between their parents. And it's so important to realize that kids really do view themselves as part of their mother and part of their father. So if they see a parent disrespecting or disliking the other parent, they transfer those negative feelings onto themselves and it can really damage their self-esteem. Yes, it did to a great extent. And they chose their mother's side. And so for a long time, they wouldn't talk to me. As a matter of fact, she died of liver failure and I went to the funeral and I was asked by the rabbi to leave that my kids wanted me to leave. So I did. And I went out to a kosher deli and I had a a memorial lunch in her memory because I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I was angry, but I, I tried to understand that the kids really needed to be together as four siblings more than they needed me to be there. I just came, you know, in a suit and tie and sat somewhere in the congregation and because uh, I just wanted to be there to to hear what the kids would say about their mom. But right. it didn't work. So I understand there's plenty of anger and there's plenty of blame. And I think you're right. In, her, in our case, they chose the weaker parent. They had a feeling that I, could, I would be fine. I would be able to take care of myself. Right. I had a job and she did not. She couldn't work anymore. And she was very sick. So I have a feeling that they, you know, got together and made this emotional decision that they would support her, not me. And they really didn't support me at all. And more often than not, mm. that would never have been a decision that got articulated. It would be much more just on a feeling level. I don't think that it's very usual for kids to get together and say, "Mm, let's see, who's the weaker parent? Let's kind of support them. I think it's all very emotional and and at a gut level. Yeah, well, they were angry and she was sick. So now I understand all that. You know, when it happened, I, I probably understood it a little, but not a lot. But um, she died six, seven years ago, something like that. And they took good care of her. I have one son son, who's now a rabbi who took two years off of school to take care of her. I mean, he gave up his life for two years. And he was her nurse and her caregiver. And um, God bless him. He and I have become the closest of the kids now, of the relationships. And we talk to each other, you know, at least twice a week. He calls me and asks me rabbi questions. It's terrific. That's what's so important to realize is that sometimes you won't see the fruits of your labor or the fruits of taking the high road and making the more difficult decision until years later. You have to really yeah. believe that you're doing the right thing and do it. And then you see how how you've um, made a difference in their lives right. and how that 
be passed down to other generations. This son got married a couple of years ago. He's now divorced, thank God. Uh, we didn't like her either, and he stopped liking her and loving her. But I participated in his wedding. I walked him down the aisle. And my fourth child is getting married in November, and I'm walking him down the aisle, and I'm going to, I'm not officiating because his brother, the rabbi, is officiating. I forgot there was two rabbis in his family now. Uh-huh. Family business. And I just assumed I was going to officiate, and he says, Dad, we have two Glazer rabbis now. Who knew? And that's the greater good, that you would have children that want this from one another. You know, that's a real blessing. So the rabbi is going to officiate. I'm going to come up, you know, under the hope and give them a blessing and then go sit back down. And I'm okay with that. I wouldn't have been okay. That's what I did at the first wedding. I was not okay with that. I thought I should have officiated, but he, they didn't truly want me and I think it was probably uncomfortable because a lot of her friends my former wife's friends was were going to be there and he didn't want to start anything which I understand Right now I don't care but you know you're right I mean this stuff takes time you don't you can get divorced and it's like any other loss that we've been talking about for almost a year now that uh, you can heal that if you think about it enough and you do something about it and you um, you make that connection that most of you doesn't want to make, but part of you does, so things will heal. So what I'd like to chat with you about is the healing that you've seen come out of your work with divorcing couples. Has anybody not got divorced after they talked to you? Um, that's a different scenario. I mean, I have had people come to me for counseling to make a decision about whether they're going to divorce or not, and that's not okay. mediation. By the time they're in mediation, the decision's been made, and they're trying to work out the details. Work out the details, yeah, okay, I got it. But you know, um, you when you are lucky enough to have a family still trying to decide, there really is an opportunity to affect the outcome. So um, I have had situations where um, couples have come and, and made the decision not to divorce. Wow. That must make you feel good. If it's if it's the right situation, it does, and usually it is. Um, but the most important thing, as we've been talking about this evening, is that they arrive at the decision that's right for them and for their family, and that they've gone through a process where they can identify what matters to them, because that may be very different than what matters to another family. Sure. That's what makes it so interesting. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. Wow. I just remember the whole the whole process being very painful, and the lawyers didn't help, of course. Um, but 
we somehow got through it. And people would ask me all the time, well, your kids don't talk to you. And I would say, you know what? Uh, I'm sad about that, but they are good friends with each other, sort yeah. of. And as long as they have a good relationship with each other and they talk to each other, that's more important to me than having a good relationship with me. I'm waiting because I, I think time, time matters and you never know what's going to happen. Of course, I'm going to be 70 years old. They better hurry up. You know, <laughs> I mean, the clock is clock is going. I don't want to not a see lot the wedding. You know. Lately about the uh, importance of sibling bonds. And yes. when you think about it, this is the relationship that lasts much longer yeah. in the lifetime yeah, of the parent-child relationship. You're basically with your siblings for almost all of your life. And right. those relationships are hugely important and really should be considered and treated with kid gloves. My four kids have a pre-Thanksgiving family dinner, four of them, and now five of them with my new daughter-in-law, and they meet up somewhere. Usually, they go up to uh, see their 97-year-old Bubby, who lives in uh, New York State, and they uh, make her, or go to a kosher restaurant or something like that, and they make her dinner, and, and they they rock. It's nice. Okay, we got a break. Uh, time goes very fast when you're having a good time. We will be back, so don't anybody go anywhere. Stay right where you are, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You 
You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, everybody. This is Rabbi Mel back. My guest is Beth Lieberman. She's a, um, well, she's a little bit of everything. She's a social worker, but we have her, we have her on the show talking about uh, divorce mediation, and I've learned already so much from her, uh, from the questions that I've asked, and how she's she's explained the procedure. So it says, Beth, on your on your bio that you gave me that you are a contributor to the Parenting Plan Possibilities Handbook distributed to divorcing families. Can you talk a little bit about that and what goes into it? Yes. So um, here in our uh, judicial district in Colorado Springs, I was a part of a task force that um, came together to create a booklet, almost a, a set of guidelines for divorcing parents that would help them understand um, what was going on for different children at different ages and developmental stages and what some of their needs were and how to meet those needs during the stress of a divorce and afterwards. So um, as we were talking about on the break, um, the laws in all states change periodically. So um, the best thing a parent can do is is make sure that they have the most um, up-to-date guidelines for um, their state, their respective state laws. But the way that this booklet is helpful is that some parents think, I'll just give an example, that um, all children do best with a 50-50 arrangement. The kids should live with me one week, and then next week they should live with you, and we'll just go back and forth like that. Um, sometimes that's because that's what the parents think is best, or that's what the parents think is fair, and what's fair is not always what's best for children. Um, you have certain children, as an example, who are very, very comfortable going back and forth and changing their environment several times a week or every other day, they can sleep just as well in this bed in their blue bedroom at dad's as they can sleep in their yellow bedroom at mom's. And you have other children, even teenagers or um, late adolescents, who are very stressed by having to change environments. Um, children sometimes have a hard time organizing their belongings or trying to remember where they left their science book, and then they get really stressed that they're not going to have their homework done for that class. So while one 14-year-old might thrive going back and forth, another one might be really traumatized by that. So this was a book that we developed to help parents sort through which of these conditions apply to our family and our children and help them take a look at... um, what would be best considering their ages and their temperaments and um, the geographical considerations. You know, some parents go out of their way to make sure they're going to live down the street or around the corner from each other, 
and other parents live way across town or in another part of the state or, um, you know. Or in California and, somewhere, yeah. And once you're done with the couple, you don't see the kids again, is that correct? That is if correct. If you see the couple, you're done with them. Yes. Because as we were talking, and you're right, I mean, if, if a kid is six, when mommy and daddy get a divorce, he's going to be a whole lot different when he deals with it. It's 12 or 20. He's going to have to mourn all over again differently, depending on where he is on the you know, behavior scale and all that. That is so uh, such a good point. I mean, different developmental stages and issues can trigger feelings of mourning and grief and loss that the child didn't experience maybe even when the divorce happened. Um, and it's really important to be sensitive to that the entire time the children are growing up, that what might have been a really good solution for them right when the family split up might not be the same situation that benefits them later. So it's almost, uh, what comes to mind are two kinds of uh, parallels. One is military families. Yes. But at least they're together, we hope. I mean, but they, they move every four years, and, and the kids have to get used to new friends, or they right. don't make friends, and they just forget about it, and they have to live in new communities and, and all that. The second example that comes to me is like when you were talking I was thinking it's like it's only like PTSD in a way because you'll be walking what I always say to people with with losses is it doesn't ever go away the pain sometimes diminishes and if I say your your late husband's name you don't start crying all over again like you did when he died but you could be in the supermarket you could be in Kroger's or wherever, and you could be in that vegetable section and see the lettuce and tomatoes that you remember from the Passover Seder that everybody in the whole family used to come to your house, including your husband, a blessed memory, and you break down in tears in the middle of the vegetable section. And yeah. people around you are looking at you like you're crazy. I could well imagine that kids would would go through similar kinds of things and don't even know why. Well, you know, divorce is a death. It's a death of the family as you know it and as you hoped it would remain. Right. And so there are so many parallels with grieving a, a death of, of a person. You're grieving the death of an ideal and a death mm-hmm. of a hope. And, you know, as children get older, it suddenly occurs to a parent that, oh, my gosh, we've got to go to graduation together. Um, we behave decently because this is our child's big day. Um, we've got to be at this wedding to, together. We have a grandchild together. With divorced parents. And I have long talks with them, and I say, now, listen, you behave yourself here because it's not about you, it's about your kids. Exactly. It's always That's- difficult. It's it's never easy, but 
We've never had any arguments break out at a Saturday night affair after a bar mitzvah, thank God. Ever? Because no, never. I think I've been hoping. I've been hoping after forty-five years, I would get to see one fight in a hotel, but no, never. There, and often one of the parents doesn't even come, uh, which I think is terrible. Really but I understand. Yeah, sad, but sometimes sad. that's they, what's best for the child, and that's what you that's, need. That's right. And it's always clear, you know, when they're sitting together and they're awkward, they're sitting together as parents, and I have rehearsals, and I walk them up together to do stuff and practice their prayers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and they do it, because I tell them to do it, because that's what we do, but I can feel it, and I know they can feel it. Yeah. And, and and usually they're good enough. I mean, they don't talk about it. It's not the time. Just like funerals and weddings and and college graduations and eight to uh, 16 birthday parties and whatever, you know, is not the time. But right. it's tough. It's tough for the kids. And what impresses me is how many children of divorced parents we have in our religious school who just do it. They move, you know, they go two days a week or three days a week and they switch weekends and, and you know, and I ask them all the time, your parents are divorced, but you're not alone anymore, right? They say, right, because there's always now three or four kids in every class in America, who are the children of divorce. And so, in a right. sense, they're in this secret club, and they know how to deal with it. Exactly, and they know how to help each other. I've been That's so right. impressed with some children and the way they step up to the plate for each other. It's so gratifying, heartwarming. So I don't know if I could do it, but I never had to do it. I mean, my parents um, were very angry with each other. And my daddy died when I was 12, so there went that problem. And and um, Mama never remarried. We told her she should, but she said, no, I'm free. If I want to go out to dinner, I will. If I don't, I won't. Nobody's going to tell me what to do anymore. Well, okay, I get it. So everybody has to make their own decisions and deal with the losses of which divorce is certainly a big one, way at the top. I think it's number three on the list. The biggest loss is the death of a parent or spouse. Or child. Or child. Yeah, it's, it's lousy. And uh, divorce is, I think, next. Yeah. Because of what you said, it, it ends the... the um, the oh. dreams, the goals, the, you know, the expectations, the hopes. The future's not going to be the same future that they thought of, that they thought it was going to be. Right. Sad. I mean, it's just sad. And, and unfortunately, we live in a world where loyalty is not, nobody's loyal anymore. I mean, it doesn't matter to your wife. Or, I mean, every day we read about some guy who was sleeping around with somebody else. And I will not mention names because that's not nice. 
<laughs> and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is coming, and I don't want to hear about it. So, right. but all the time, so there's no loyalty, but there's no loyalty in business. You know, company will fire you. They don't like you. They'll fire you. They don't, you people don't stay around for 10 years, 20 years anymore. So marriage is no different. They're, the loyalty is not what it used to be. And that's really too bad. And the incentive to work through problems instead of just I, stepping aside and saying, okay, you know, that didn't work, on to the next option. Uh, right. We're done. It's really too bad. I, I feel really bad for people who are divorced. And, I mean, I feel bad for anybody who has losses. That's why, we, that's why I do this show every week. And we talk about different kinds of losses, and you've been really helpful talking about divorce and mediation and and how you it helps couples work through it. I want to say a couple things before we go, because we only have two minutes left. All right. You believe that? So first and foremost, Beth, I want to thank you for coming. And I've loved, uh, I've really enjoyed talking with you and learned a lot from you and um, it's been a pleasure and now I have to say goodbye and what I want to say to people is if you ever want to get in touch with me uh, you should email me at rabbimel at griefok.com rabbimel at griefok.com and if you ever want to call me, I'm at 719-510-1901. I'm not going to tell you Beth's phone number because she requested not to because she don't want you knocking on her door and saying, you know, you call her like a human being. You call I will her say and she- this, if anyone does want to reach me, you know how to get them in touch with me and I would be happy to hear I, from them. If anybody okay. wants her... To help them, you call me, and I will be happy to do that. And she works around the country. You don't have to live here. You can be anywhere you want. So, unfortunately, I'm sorry we got to go. And I thank my listeners for listening, and I look forward to next week. And thank you, Beth, very much for being with us and being our teacher. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.